This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. What do these restaurants, eating establishments have in common? So there's a thread, and don't answer until you think you know. Uh, raise your hand if you think you know at the end, all right? Jim and Milt's. Um, Momo's Pizza. You have to be in Tallahassee to recognize these. Whataburger. Guthrie's Chicken Fingers. You have to go old school, and I don't know if anybody would recognize the mill. All right, yes. <laughs> Some of us old timers remember, and I love the mill. Uh, Super Peros. Brugger's Bagel, Chick-fil-A, and Cool Beans. Anybody take a wild stab what those, Jimmy Milts, Momo's, Whataburger's, I didn't say, Osaka's Japanese Steakhouse, Guthrie's, The Mill, Super Peros, Brugger's Bagel, Cool Beans, Chick-fil-A. Just raise your hand. I can't hear out of this ear, so I can hear sound. But I cannot pinpoint it, so handing helps. What did he say? High calories. High calories. You know, I don't know. You know, uh, what a burger if you don't eat the, but, the bread. One last person. Raise your hand. It's no wrong answers. Yes. Yes, they're all from Florida. Uh, here it is, so you don't suffer anymore. I love at, eat, at eating at all these places, all right? Jim and Milt's? Come on. They used to call it the Hobo Special, but I think they changed the name because it wasn't appropriate anymore. But I loved or lo- loved or loved these establishments. And I don't know if you've noticed, but almost any night, and uh, a lot of times I may be here late at night and I'll, I'll be going home. At, like last night I went home. I went down um, Monroe Street and... Uh, I don't know why it amazes me, but every time at night, it seems like all the restaurant establishments are packed. You know, so there's uh, new restaurants going up. Uh, It just seems like El Jalisco always has a good patronage. You know, Chick-fil-A, of course, has a line. Uh, All those restaurants on Monroe Street, um, not so much Checkers. Do we still have a Checkers? Uh, Sorry if there is. I didn't recognize it. Always, lots of people. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in the good old U.S. of A., uh, we are known for our appetite. Talk to anybody who comes from overseas, and when they go to Disney World, they are typically uh, shocked. Uh, We love restaurants. We love our food. We eat our three meals a day and coffee before, maybe a little bit afterwards. We have snacks and soft drinks in between. Now, typically, when I'm talking about food, I'm looking at myself as an example. So I'm not pointing at you. I'm talking about us. So uh, we like our food. I learned something a few years ago uh, from my son, who learned this from his now wife at the time, was fiance, is that appetite and hunger are not the same thing. So it should not come to, surpri- come to surprise that, that I'm a little overweight, But guess what? So are three-quarters of Americans. 
So it looks like I'm in good company. This is a typical scene for me. I'm busy in my office. You know, I have lots of Zoom meetings. I'm reading and trying to do some studying. And then next you know, it's like 12.30, and I'm getting hungry. So I think. And so what I do, and Natalie, if it's Monday, Wednesday, or Tuesday, and Thursdays, Natalie's in her office, which is that sound booth over there. And what I try to do is try to open that door really quietly and walk across without her noticing me, and I'll go out these doors, and I'll go out. And the reason is I'm, I'm probably going to go to Whataburger next door. And so uh, instead of drinking water to help suppress this craving that I have, I tend to sneak over to Whataburger, and then I try, I try uh, to sneak back in. But the problem is that we have alarm beeps on these things. So uh, when that door opens, it beeps. But sometimes she might have her headset on, and so she's back there working on the computer, and that's what I'm hoping for, because I don't want her to judge me. I mean, I don't want her to see me with my Whataburger bag. You know, she's back there with her bubbly uh, uh, LaCroix soda drink, um, and she's not judging me, but <laughs> sometimes I feel like she is. Um, you know, with a little fancy water back there. Basically, we eat a lot in the United States, and sadly, we buy so much food that the average family of four throws away about $1,500 a year's worth of groceries every year. Now, these are not in my notes, but I learned something on my flight from Atlanta to Los Angeles two weeks ago is... Um, we have a lot of waste. And uh, you know those little plastic packages that say recycle? You know, have the little symbol, the three arrows? Uh, uh, I think I knew this, but recyclable does not mean recycled. And so this is, a, this is an offshoot. It's not part of the sermon. But just so you know, most of your plastics are not being recycled, even though you put it in that green container. The sad part about that is you know where that stuff goes? According to NPR, on my Delta flight, that stuff goes overseas. And it used to go to China because they would use it, but it no longer goes to China. They send it down to the southern Asian poor countries thinking they might do something with it. And the only thing they do with it is burn it or it gets thrown in the ocean. So that little blueberry box that you have that I used to put in the green container really is not being recycled. It's too expensive to recycle it. So they ship it overseas. And those poor people over there are inhaling fumes. And so uh, it's a ter terrible thing. But anyway, that's a side note. Uh, we eat too much. Of all the food waste, and I imagine um, those of you who are, do some sort of catering probably see this, uh, about of all the food waste, Almost 50% of the food waste that we have in our country is in our homes. Uh, the other 40%, uh, give or take, are restaurants. You know, food that was prepared, that wasn't consumed, and you got to dump it. And then the rest is, you know, farms are like 2%. No, farms are like 8%, and then manufacturing places are like 2%, something like that. All I'm just saying is that we live in a culture where we love food, and at the same time, 
We love food and we love our sweets. At the same time, our culture is not only pushing that, it's pushing uh, this type of body that we're supposed to have. You know, I try to take care of this because this is how I make money right here. Thank you. There's a lot of pressures out there to, to keep a certain body type. And how do I know this? You just have to go to the public's grocery store. I think I have a picture, and it may not be real defined in the PowerPoint. We live in a culture where we love food, and at the same time that culture tries to body control us, and I'm not kidding, on one side of the grocery store, you'll find a magazine with a super buff actor or actress telling us how to lose weight and how to look 10 years younger, and the magazine right next to it will be How to Fry Donuts with Paula Dean. <laughs> and next to that is a super simple way to buy Snicker Bar. Do you see the, the tension? It's like, yes, I want to look like Thor, but I also want to eat sugar donuts that have been fried. And then I get a little hungry and I want that Snickers... And uh, if you haven't realized it, the, the grocery stores, and I don't mean to be crude in any way, but they're pimping sugar to us and to me. It's demonic. It's demonic powers at work here. I know I'm trying to, I'm not trying to be funny. It is funny, but I'm also trying to be super serious. There is something super demonic about that situation. Where it's like in one sense, you got to look like this, and we're going to always want you to feel inferior because you don't look like this, and we're going to help you with your inferior complex by helping you feel good, and let's eat a Snickers. And I have fallen prey to that many a times. And part of this struggle in self-worth and body image is being expressed incredibly powerfully, sadly powerfully, among our young people especially. There's real strongholds and, and, and struggles. And I hate to tell you this, but it's by design. Just like that three-arrow symbol, it's to give you the impression that you're doing something good. Well, they've always known it's never going to be recycled. It just makes you feel good. Oh, I want to, want to buy recycled stuff, and then I'll, and I feel good if I put it in a green uh, container. And it feels good to have that special truck come and grab it. But we don't know what happens afterwards. And according to NPR, on the Delta flight, it gets shipped overseas to be burned in some poor neighborhood or thrown into the ocean. It's all by design. And so I think we live in a world where it's very difficult to master our own lives. Now, have any of you, just by raising hand, have ever heard of the pleasure principle? The pleasure principle is, um, again, I'm not a psychologist, but I do read Wikipedia. In Freud's psychoanalytic theory of personality, the pleasure principle is the driving force of the id that seeks immediate gratification of all needs, all wants, and all urges. In other words... The pleasure principle strives to fulfill our basic primitive urges 
including, this is still Wikipedia, including uh, hunger, thirst, anger, and sex. And so people try to fill that with all sorts of things and food. But we all know the, the deeper hunger, the deeper desire, that could only be filled by Jesus. It's not going to be filled by eating or watching or any of those things. And I'm talking to myself. Now this kind of uh, Freud psychoanalytic theory of what we call the pleasure principle is seen in our, our kids, right? Or grandchildren. Maybe not my grandchildren, but maybe some other buddy's grandchildren. I've seen little kids stomp their feet when they've been told by their parent, no, you can't have ice cream right before bed. Because they want their ice cream and they want it. They do. And that kind of mindset, that kind of spirit bleeds into the teen years. Some of you are parents of teenage years and you probably know this one too well. In the post or the teen years, I want my cell phone and I want it now. Yes. <laughs> we struggled with uh, texting machines back in the day. Then it bleeds into the college years. College students want their sexual gratification and they want it now. And then it bleeds into adulthood. I want that nice car. I want that newer home, although I can't afford it because I want it now. And sadly, it bleeds into our spiritual lives. I want my blessing and I want it now. And what happens if God doesn't deliver on that blessing that we want and we want it now? Sadly, it's very similar to the five-year-old. We stomp our feet and we go off. One of our favorite old commercials back in the day was J.G. Whitworth. It's my money and I want it now. You remember the commercials? And sadly, this immediate gratification rears its ugly head with national debt and personal debt. Sexual addictions are at all-time high. I'm just checking the audience. That little blue pill that used to be for old folks is now being sold to young folks. Uh, there is a website, I'm not going to say it, uh, H-blank-M, all right? And uh, they are going, they are making sales left and right on that little blue pill for people in their 20s and 30s that don't really need it, but actually they turn out that they do. And the reason they do, this is some of the research, is due to anxiety, stress, depression, and sexual addictions. Can you see, the, you talk, you see what I mean about the demonic power behind all this? And sadly, including myself, we have been proselytized. We have been converted because the pressure is real and it's palpable. However, God has a plan for us. And his plan is for him to rule over our lives, not our flesh to rule over us. And I know it's hard, but how do we do this? And we have to go back to one of the best books in the Bible, in the book of Daniel. 
And there's a, a, a verse here that says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, you guys know the story of Daniel and his friends. He ordered his chief of staff to bring the palace some of the young men. So Daniel and his friends were, were taken. They are no longer in their homeland. They have been taken away and they've been brought. And this is into this foreign land. And this is what he says. They've been brought to Babylon as captives, selecting only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. He says, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal's palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of uh, renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Abednego. Most likely, these kids were in their late teens and they were transported to Babylon and exposed to an intense program of re-education, a concentration camp, if you will. And this is how you reprogram young minds. First of all, you get them to forget who they belong to. Try to get them to forget the, their history. Get them to forget whose parents they had. You get them to forget, and that's why you give them a new name. And in place of their Hebrew name or their Yahwistic names, they want them to forget who they belong to. So the, that's the number one goal, and that's how this culture works. Forget who you are. So in place of their names, we're given Babylonian names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The, they're Babylon names that... Uh, invoke Marduk and Nebo and Bel, these, these idols, instead of God. Look what it says. It says that the four young boys were instructed in the language and literature of the Babylonians in order that the Babylonian myths might suppress, the Babylonian legends might suppress the scriptures of the Old Testament that they knew. Thirdly, they were to be royally supplied with the king's table food, a daily allowance of food and wine, so that they would become accustomed that where did their food come from? It came from the king's table. So after three years of college, I mean, this, this place of reprogramming, their previous identity, history, is designed to be obliterated. And they are there to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. This true story provides us a picture of the world's strategy in spiritual reprogramming us. It's highly effective. It's subtle. It's a subtle combination of threat and promise. If you are reluctant, you're going to go to prison. If you're compliant, you'll be well fed and you'll be provided for. I have a family member that came to visit us. And they asked me, 
Are you preparing your church for persecution? And I, we had a little conversation, but in the back of my mind, and I'm not talking about you as the church, I'm just talking in general, there is no need for persecution. If persecution is the threat of harm, its goal is to get you to bow your knee and worship, you know, the idol, uh, that is one way of doing it. But that's expensive, seriously. You know, uh, we know what's going on in a big, big nation in, in Asia. They have a million Muslims uh, being hauled off into concentration camps. It's horrible. But you gotta house them, you gotta feed them, you gotta, put, you gotta build prisons, you gotta, you gotta build fences. That's expensive. What's less expensive than that, but still the same goal, is to do the opposite. Spiritually reprogram them uh, with helping people to be compliant and making sure that they begin through the area of pleasure, at the end of the day, we'll do the same thing. So the fundamental goal of the whole procedure was to obliterate memory of Israel, memory of God, make sure what they say with their lips is an, a new way of saying things, instill in them a sense of total dependence on King Nebuchadnezzar, drown their memories of God with pleasures of life. In other words, fatten them up. And this is how our enemy operates. As I said, in one part of the world, he prosecutes believers, persecutes believers. That takes money, but it's much more cost effective to make people to bow their knee by seducing and deceiving us into forgetting God. And guess what? On the process of doing that, we pay them. We pay them. We pay them by the stuff we watch on television. We pay them by the stuff we're consuming. I mean, seriously, we were being played in so many ways. But Satan wants us to forget the truths of God in our hearts, what God calls us, who we belong to. God is, you know, the name of Daniel, God is our judge. God shows us grace. And they, the enemy wants us to forget the uniqueness of God that our help comes from God. Our food comes from God. It doesn't come from Publix. That's the, what they want us to forget. The enemy wants to control what our kids are learning. So that's why we have kids church downstairs to help what you're doing. We're augmenting what should be happening at home. Because the world wants to reprogram our kids. He wants to reprogram us with pleasures of this world. And we've grown to love it. And my phone's over there. I, I sadly, I, I remember when I had a, a non-iPhone and I used to look down at people that had iPhones because they kept doing this. And then I remember telling this two young college girls like, hey man, you guys are addicted. She goes, well, that's because you don't have an iPhone. And um, here I am, <laughs> I end up doing the same thing. Oh, I shouldn't have looked at that, Let's keep, but keep scrolling, right? 
So uh, we are being reprogrammed by instill, instilling in us a dependence on the material comforts that make our lives easy. And we've grown to love and have it. A, we've just grown to needing it. And these things can be tools, but they also can be tools for good, but they also be tools to draw us away from God. So Satan's fundamental goal is always to obliterate our memory of the Lord, to re-educate our minds to his way of thinking, to instill in us that somehow if you want a good life, they have what that means and they offer it to us. And, and we think that we have to have it to be satisfied. But there is a strategy that Daniel, God placed in his in the Bible for us. One thing I want to recognize is that they were good citizens in both places. They did not kick against the situation and challenge that they were in. This is really important. The goal is not to create um, Christian ghettos, but somehow, how can we affect, not only keep ourselves from being uh, reprogrammed, but how can we help others around us? that def desperately need Jesus. Daniel and his friends uh, accepted their calling, their situation as their calling. With all the trials and the pains and the limitations, but they felt that this was their cause and they were willing to go through it. We should all be pursuing and actively pursuing the common good of our community which God has placed us, whatever the challenges may face us. So one of the ways that you can and I can remember not to get assimilated, and I say this every Sunday, is that we need to celebrate. Find other believers and celebrate God's goodness. That's why I love gathering together because we're going to celebrate God's goodness one year, my brother was in Quito, Ecuador in the fall season. And he is a big, and his sons are, my nephews are big Florida State fans. But here they were in Quito, Ecuador, and it wasn't like they could just turn on the television watch. So they scoured around and they convinced this one restaurant that had a satellite to show a Florida State game. And to their surprise, when word got out, there was about 20 people in Quito, Ecuador, watching a Florida State game. Why? Because they had something in common and they wanted to celebrate their team. And there's something special about when we come together to celebrate Jesus. We're celebrating together. It's great to see to my right a couple weeks ago, my father-in-law, to worship Jesus. It's great to see uh, my fellow uh, people that I love you so much to see you worship Jesus. We need to remind each other what we are celebrating, who we're celebrating. So one of the best ways that we can help from being reprogrammed is to celebrate. Celebrate at home. We need to take every opportunity to gather together as exiles so that we can remind each other that this is not our home. One of the easiest tactics 
easy tactics, and we happen on campus a lot, is what we call divide and conquer. Typically, we would reach a college student. They say they're a believer. They went to church all their lives, and we encourage them to be part of a you know, campus ministry or church. And what they do is they think they can do it alone. And I fell and prayed to that as well. Together, we can help one another keep the memory of Christ strong, even in encouragement. You know, and I'm sorry, Deanne, I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit. When I see her speeding down the interstate, I call her up, like, hey, you're going awfully fast, and you have a mosaic sticker on your car. <laughs> sorry, Deanna. <laughs> it's funny, because it's true. Uh, but that's a, a way of encouragement, isn't it? It's a, it's a, we're using humor to encourage one another. Hey, we're saying hello and slow down at the same time. We remind one another of our true citizenship when we gather together in our homes, in our churches, around the dinner table. We challenge each other to fix our eyes on the kingdom of heaven and not to settle for the ways of this world. We also, by, by preaching God's word, which I'm tempting to do this morning, to breaking bread together, following the Lord's commands, why we study scriptures. The Hebrew children, these young men, understood the contemporary language and the literature of the Babylonians, but they also were armed with biblical discernment and biblical truths. The second way to repel this assimilation is to not eat the king's food. Well, we've got to eat, right? Well, I'm telling you, don't eat the king's food. You can only eat Chick-fil-A. I'm not trying to get too complicated here, but I think when the, the it's really not about being a vegetarian. What it really comes down to is that the vegetables they ate were grown they have to grow naturally, grains and vegetables, and to drink naturally occurring water. It's, it's a reminder of them that God is the one that's providing. You know, when you're eating a little Debbie, that's not natural, all right? And I love eating little Debbies. That's manufactured. And I think what they're, they were doing in a subtle way was they were saying, I'm not going to eat the king's food, this manufactured fake stuff. I'm going to eat stuff that I know that comes from the Lord. It's a reminder. Now, in verse 8, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine. He was determined not to defile himself. So I think a simple diet that they were eating reminded them of their dependence upon the creator God for their food, not King Nebuchadnezzar. It's taking longer than I anticipated. Give me four, four or five more minutes and then I'm asked the band to come. And then pray for me because my wife is the kid's pastor. And... Uh, <laughs> uh, I think what we need to do, I'm not saying that we need to live vegetarian lifestyles, 
is that we need to build in our daily routine a constant reminder of our dependence on God for all the good things in our lives. Even the simple act of praying. Last night we had dinner with my three grandkids, Eric and Melissa's grandkids, and I asked them who would like to pray. And Emmett was the first one to raise his hand immediately. He'll pray. These are great ways to remind ourselves, daily routines, to remind ourselves our dependence on God and that all good things come from him. Keep good records. Write down all the things that God has done for you. Even if you feel like it's trivial, write it down. Remind yourselves of God's goodness. Fasting. Fasting. Deliberately choosing to abstain from some of the legitimate pleasures and satisfactions in this world can be a powerful means in which we can remind ourselves that this world is not our home. And this is where I'm getting to. So instead of eating a meal, take time to fix your eyes on Jesus the prize. Take time to not eat a meal so you can concentrate on who our true inheritance comes from. Who our hearts really long for. So this morning, I want to ask you, would you consider, we're coming up to a season which uh, represents the 40 days of Jesus being led into the wilderness before the crucifixion. Easter is just uh, what I call Resurrection Sunday. It's just about 44 days away. That during this time that we would take initiative, set in our hearts, to do an inventory to see how assimilated we are to the culture. All of us, aren't, we're not immune to it. Now this thing about reading the story of Daniel and maybe the stories I've been sharing, it could be a little depressing. The good news about the gospel is God is not only faithful to the faithful, he is faithful to us who have not necessarily been faithful. Jesus came to save us from our faithless selves. Are we not all compromised saints? The cross is the means by which God's faithfulness redeems the unfaithful. Thank you, Jesus. I need a constant reminder, a reminder of the gospel that Jesus was crucified, he was raised, and he was exalted. Jesus did not just send us a map. He gave us his life. He is the way. He is the truth. And so this morning, I'm going to ask the band to come on up. I'm going to ask the Lord to help you and me to be a blessing wherever he has placed us and whatever family we might be in right now. That we would constantly be dependent on God's grace 
and his beautiful, gracious, sanctifying work that we can rely on him, that we can fix our eyes on Christ. And we can pray and ask the Lord to uh, heaven rain down in, and invade our lives and in our family. So I'm making a audible promise. Uh, so Wednesday, I believe, is 40 days. I, um, so I'm going to be off. I didn't realize how, and my wife keeps telling me, but I didn't believe her, that I might be a little uh, addicted to my f social media. My hand is uh, hurting, but it's affecting my heart. The culture keeps telling me, how come you're not vacationing in Aspen? How come your car has uh, 170,000 miles in it, on it? How come, you know, you got to buy secondhand clothes? Look at them. So we live in a world that's uh, forcing us to compare. And it's easy to compare downward. That's pride. Like, at least I'm not them. So uh, as your pastor, I'm not going to be on social media. However, we do need social media to communicate, and we'll figure out a way. But And uh, fast food. So Whataburger, my app will have to be erased. But I don't want anything to keep me from focusing on Jesus. And although Instagram and Facebook might seem silly, all of it starts silly, doesn't it? all of it. It always starts small. But I want to make sure, and I'm going to take the time that I normally would waste scrolling, focusing on the goodness of God. I don't want to be uh, caught into this tug of war of trying to be somebody like on a magazine and then also being pulled by the, the sugar lords. I want to be under the authority of Christ. So this next season, until Resurrection Sunday, at least, it'll help us detox from a, a world of assimilation and that we would clasp and hold on to Christ and be victorious. So I'm asking you to join me but part of it is you have to recognize that you've been assimilated. So every eye closed, head bowed, we like to do this. Uh, I'm already raising my hand, so you're not alone if you happen to raise your hand. But you're saying, Pastor Mario, there's areas in my life that I need to disassimilate. Amen, yes, I'm raising my hands. Got both hands up. Amen. You can put your hands down. Lord, help us. Help us as we fastly approach your Resurrection Sunday celebration. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, if there's things that are tangling and holding on to our hearts, and it doesn't have to be just Facebook, it could be bitterness, it could be anxiety and, and unforgiveness. 
anything that's not of your way, Father. Lord, we want to detangle ourselves through the blood of Christ. Gives us the power to do so. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to finish our time uh, singing and confirming what the Lord just spoke to us. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.